Welcome to the Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly podcast. Please listen as Dr. Steve Wood, pastor, teaches from God's Word. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to HBC Prayer List 2020 at gmail.com. All right, it's good to see each of you here with us this morning. And uh, uh, the only announcement that I, I want to make today is that we're still planning on having services next Sunday. Still planning on it. No official word has come from the government. May do it. They're saying that they're going to have a lockdown next weekend because of the uh, carnival. We'll see. If they do, we will meet on Friday. So please keep that in mind. We've got two communications that have said there's going to be a lockdown next weekend. But as I said, it's not official yet. Until it's official, we can't act. So just keep your eyes open, your ears peeled, and if we're not able to meet on Sunday, a week from today, we'll meet on Friday at 11 a.m. I hope you can come. I know when we meet on the weekday, some of you can't come and be with us. We understand that. But um, all that can come, we'll have our service here. And all that can't come, we'll have our podcast if we can't meet here. So, uh, just be praying about it and uh, we'll do the best we can with what we have and um, what we're given. Alright, Wanda, would you come and lead us in our opening prayer please and we'll get started with our service this morning. Our Father, as we come to you this morning, we're so thankful for the many, many blessings, the ways you take care of us, you, pro- you provide for us. I thank you for this day that you've given us to come together and worship you. I ask that you help us focus on you, that we, uh, as we get into your word, as we sing the songs, that we will truly praise you and show our love. Yes, and then that we can shine and be a light to others as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Wanda, wait, 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 wait. Well, Wanda's up here. I want to tell you about something. I'm really proud of this young lady. (laughs) You know, she was involved in an international group before we moved. This past week, they had a podcast. No, it was a Zoom. Or Zoom. Well, yeah. Anyway, they were able to see one another. But anyway, she was asked to be one of the teachers. And... uh, They were teaching on marriage, but they were telling them about how Jesus Christ is important in their relationship. There were Muslims, we know. There were others that uh, uh, were listening from all different countries that are there in College Station. And they were able to hear about our Lord and our Savior. And And she 
did an excellent job in presenting that. I know because I had to listen to it two or three times before, <laughs> before it was ever, ever part of the uh, broadcast. But anyway, I appreciate my wife and all she's able to do. Let us stand together. I'll fly away is our first hymn. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away. You may be seated. I think probably most of you have already heard, I grew up in a country Baptist church. It was out in the country. We used stamps, Baxter, songbooks. Have you ever heard of them? <laughs> now we had another hymnal. And I don't know why we did that, but the other hymnal... On Sunday mornings, most of the time we use that other hymnal. But on Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, any other time we met, we would use those Stamps Baxter music books. And that was one of the songs we sang all the time. I'll fly away. Alright, we need our uh, prayer concern updates. And uh, so I'll recognize Frank for, for those. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I really don't have any prayer concerns today, but I do have a, a large concern. It's about our church. We're going through the registration process. We've been doing it forever. But it, <laughs> it seems like it's going to come to an end, hopefully, maybe two months, maybe sooner, maybe longer. I don't know. We're getting Maybe two weeks. Maybe two weeks. We'll see. We're Panama. We don't know. <laughs> but 
we're talking about a dedication service when we become a registered church in Panama. We're also talking about membership because uh, we have to have members. We have to have official members. And we recognize a lot of people as members, but that's not going to be good enough. As we become a registered church, we're going to have to get everything official. So keep that in your prayers about being a member here. If you want to, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. But hopefully you'll be members. Uh, we're also talking about, well, just for instance, this, this facility over here, this, um, what was it, a barbecue place? It, barbecue. it shut down. Well, we got an opportunity to to get that place too and, and take out this wall. Now, sounds like a lot of work and everything. It sounds like a lot of money. And we're still just looking at it right now. We're just looking at it. But that's a possibility. Or we might find a larger church because as we fill up, we're going to have to do something. So keep that in prayer too. And uh, speaking of keeping in prayer, we're also thinking about getting the pasture to, uh, to Escadito to live there to move him, you know, because we need some a little closer to where he's at, where the, all the gringos are at. We're talking about it now. That's nothing official yet, but it may happen. So there's a lot of things on, the, on our plate. So just pray for us and pray for the, for the church registration and your own memberships, if that's what you want. Thank you. Okay. Uh, any other prayer concerns that uh, you have this morning? Any updates maybe from... Prayer concerns that are already on the prayer list. We have some that are ill this morning. Sandy is not with us because she's not well today. So put on your, her on your prayer list for today. She doesn't want to be on the prayer list, I don't think. But we can pray for her, can't we? Any others that you like to mention today? If not, let's uh, continue with our song service. Draw me close to you is our next song. Let us stand if you'd like to.
You may be seated. Again, we want to say welcome to each of you today that are able to be here with us in our services. We're going to be looking at the church at Pergamos today. And I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. The church at Pergamos. It says, To the angel of the church at Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Barak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to uh, ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to open again your word, to think about things that you have written to the churches. And Father, we know that some of these things are meaningful for us today, as well as it was for the church at Pergamos. Help us to take to heart those things that you would be saying to Hillside today. And I pray that your blessings would be upon each one that's here and help us to respond to the Spirit's leading as you would have us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The letter to the church at Pergamos, or Pergamum. You may have noticed that in some of the scripture readings it's Pergamum, and others it's Pergamos. Well, we're going to go ahead and call it Pergamos today. But either way is correct to pronounce it for this particular church in that particular city. Christ introduced himself in verse 12 as a judge yielding a sharp two-edged sword. Did you notice that? That's his introduction to this particular church. And according to verse 16, 
He's ready to use His sword to fight against those who will not repent. There were some in that church that needed to repent. But what was the problem here? This is made clear in verses 14 and 15. As the church at Pergamos had welcomed into their midst some who held various errors. Two different ones, in fact. Those who held the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam and those who held the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And we're going to look at these in some detail today so that we might understand what they are and how they might affect us as a New Testament church here today. Although the church as a whole may not have embraced these errant theologies, these teachings. It nevertheless tolerated, you see. And so they were guilty by association. And they were compromised in their stand, holding a broad ecumenical view. Pergamos was the provincial capital in Asia. As we look at this particular city in Asia Minor, it was the designated center for the worship of Rome, making it a conflict with that church and what they taught about the Lord. In fact, Pergamos was the first city to erect the temple Caesar Augustus. This is doubtless what the Lord meant when He described this particular city, Pergamos, in the 13th verse as where Satan has his throne. But before he began to talk to them about problems in the church, he commended them for their faithfulness. In spite of the church's compromises, in verse 13, he commended them for their works, their faithfulness during a previous Persecution. Apparently, this persecution had been especially severe. And Antipas, a faithful follower of Christ, had been killed. And so he is the first martyr mentioned in the churches prior to John completing the book of Revelation. Now that doesn't mean he was the first martyr. He wasn't. As far as we know, James, the brother of John, was the first martyr. But there were martyrs, there were people who were killed for their faith all during the period of time up until we come to this church at Pergamos. Now, it doesn't tell us what the persecution was in the past. 
And it doesn't tell us that there was persecutions that were going on currently. Or that there would be in the immediate future more than any other church as they face trials during that period of time. But we're going to be looking at these trials in more detail in just a moment. But we find that this church was more faithful under persecution than they were without persecution. Doesn't that sound strange? Now I mentioned before that Lifeway sent an international mission board missionary into different countries to interview people in those countries who were being persecuted. We have a lot of different Christians that are being persecuted around the world right now, undergoing persecution. And this missionary, as he was interviewing one particular pastor, he told him, people back in my homeland are praying for you. And the missionary said, thank you. Please, please keep up your prayers. Continue to pray for us. And he said, we're praying that the persecution is going to stop. And the missionary said something very odd. He said, please don't pray for that. Because it's because of the persecution, our people are so faithful. I never thought of that before. I pray for persecuted believers around the world when I pray, and I know you do the same thing. But they're asking us not to pray that the persecution stops. And we can see that with this particular church. How that without the persecution, they weren't as faithful. You see, the threat of violence, even the threat of death, causes these individuals to see what they're doing as urgent. As something that is needed immediately and causes the believers to be very dedicated in their trying to reach others, trying to spread the gospel, trying to show others their need of salvation. But as peace comes, the urgency of getting that message out is not seen as much. And it gives more latitude for error to seep into the churches. Now I'm not saying today we ought to be praying that we'll have persecution. I'm not telling you that at all. I don't want to see persecution, do you? But the thing that we need to see is that these Christians were more faithful under persecution than they were when persecution wasn't there. And so we need to be more dedicated when we don't have persecution. When we don't have people fighting against us. Will persecution come to us? I don't know. 
He could. I know in the last days there's going to be more and more persecution. So yes, it's possible that we could be persecuted here. We have a good illustration of how this takes place. In the very early life of the churches, in 313 A.D., I don't know whether any of you are familiar with history enough to recognize that date or not, but this was the time when Constantine, as he was about to go into battle, thought he saw a sign from God in the sky. In fact, it was a cross. And he heard, supposedly, a voice from God telling him to conquer in that name. And so Constantine declared himself a Christian. Declared himself a believer. And the Roman Empire adopted a non-discriminatory statement for the churches. They were able to worship. They were able to have their services. They were able to work for the Lord without being against the law anymore. And so what happened is that Christianity became popular. Because the emperor was a Christian, many people wanted to be a Christian. And so a lot of people then, a lot of Roman citizens, joined churches. And they joined with or without any real commitment to Jesus Christ. And at one time, the church at Rome baptized 12,000 people at one time. It was popular. And therefore, the churches became more and more pagan. They adopted the things from pagan religions and, and Christianized them, as they said. And we find that the churches, instead of changing the world, was now being changed by the world. The church at Pergamos that we're talking about here today was especially sensitive to this particular problem. It was situated in society where persecution wasn't carried out so much. And they were able to go on with their lives without persecution. And the Lord says that it was a world occupied by Satan himself, didn't he? Did he say that? Twice the Lord says that it was a world occupied by Satan. Verse 13, where Satan's throne is, he says first. And then he went on to add that this was also the place where Satan lived. 
And you know, I think we can say that about any place just about it where we are. Satan is here, isn't he? Satan lives here. Satan is going to influence God's people as much as he can. He's going to keep us from being the influence in the world that we need to be. And the world is going to continue to try and influence the churches to keep them from being as effective. To keep them from doing God's work. They had compromised with pagan practices. Verses 14 and 15. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Barak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now these were not the same group of people. They were two distinct, different groups of people. And we're going to talk a little bit about those this morning as we think about this church at Pergamos and the world they lived in. The world where Satan thr Satan's throne was. The world where Satan lived. Now, all was not well, of course, with the church at Pergamos, as the Lord is telling us here. And let's look at the teaching of Balaam for just a minute. Now, it was not a, a system of theology like we would consider Calvinism or Lutheranism. It wasn't a, a system of doctrine or, or Baptist. Rather, it was a method by which Balaam entice Barak to make the people of Israel sin. Now, the method that Balak used was to send Moabite prostitutes to, to, to seduce the men of Israel to cause them to sin. And as these prostitutes came among God's people. They got the Israelite men to worship false gods. To eat food sacrificed to idols. Which was something that God had commanded them not to do. And because of this sin, 24,000 Israelites died. 24,000 of them there in the wilderness. Numbers 31 verse 16 says, they, meaning the Moabite women, were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague attacked the Lord's people. A plague. Now, <clears throat> about the problem that they had here in Israel. Did you know that that same kind of thing has happened in our day and time? I don't know whether you've ever heard of a cult called the children of God. 
they were more active back in probably the 1980s. Now, I don't, you can't remember the 80s, can you? <laughs> but in, in that period of time, this cult sprung up, and they had the teaching that there was nothing morally wrong with sex outside of marriage. This is one of their tenets. This is one of their teachings. And in order for them to win converts, they trained their women to induce the men to commit fornication with them. And they had a term for this particular way of doing things. They called it flirty fishing. Flirty fishing. These ladies were supposed to win over these men with, with their love. They said these men know nothing about what love is about. And so it was alright for them to go in and win them with that kind of love. I want to call it filthy fishing every time I see the word flirty fishing. Now, they stopped that practice only after the AIDS epidemic in the 80s caused many of their women to get AIDS. But they didn't stop. That group is still in existence today and it's called the Family International. So if you ever run across that name, just think, oh, that's a cult that believes in flirty fishing. Anyway, that type thing had happened back with the Israelites and they're using it today. Now the second group of people, let's, let's look at them for just a moment. The Nicolaitans. They're named in verse 15. They'd already been named in verse 6 as we looked at the Ephesian church, but we find that they had rejected them. But here with the church at Pergamos, they had accepted them among them. May not have believed what they were teaching, but they had accepted them. So what were the Nicolaitans? The doctrine or the teaching of the Nicolaitans was something that Jesus hates. Did you notice that? The Lord hates it. So what is it? The word Nicolaitans means conqueror. To conquer the people. And it was an early part of having people with authority over the churches. Instead of the membership in that church having the authority. In a Baptist church, we don't have bishops and archbishops and all of these different things, cardinals that, that rule over churches, do we? What is our authority? Who rules over us? 
Jesus Christ does, right? And every member of a Baptist church has as much authority as any other member. Did you hear me? Now I know right now we have a church council and really that's the only membership we have as we are beginning our organization, as we're uh, beginning our registration for us to become a church in the eyes of Panama. It has, has to be that way. Nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. Every officer that they recommend, every officer that they say that we need, is something that's scriptural. It's, it's something that every Baptist church has. A church clerk, they call it secretary. A moderator that is the pastor. The um, parliamentarian. Treasurer. Can't do without a treasurer, can we? And, and so we've got those officers, and every officer in our church is part of the church council. And so the church council can make recommendations then to the full membership of the church. Well, right now, they're sort of taking the oversight and, and doing what has to be done as far as deciding about moving to this building and, and whether or not we expand to have more room and and uh, then the church taking the responsibility of, of uh, the pastor's salary, and um, uh, not salary, but uh, uh, home, and all of that sort of thing. But, when we get completely organized, if you're a member of Hillside Baptist Church, you'll have just as much authority as the pastor. In fact, maybe more so, somebody said, well, every member has more authority in the church than the pastor does because the pastor doesn't even have a vote unless there's a tie. <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? As the moderator moderates a business meeting, the only time he gets a vote is when there's a tie. And that's a bad time for a vote, isn't it? <laughs> if you've got a house divided against itself. Alright, so the teachings of the Nicolaitans was that they wanted control of the churches. They wanted control of the church government. And that happened over the years. As time went on, we see this progress in church administration being taken from the local congregation to authorities outside the church. But Baptist churches have always had the authority in the church. And each member having a vote. Do you know that the founders of the American government saw that in practice in Baptist churches in the colonies prior to the United States becoming a nation. And they adopted that practice for the United States. And we have that practice here in Panama as well. Each person that's a citizen gets a vote. Isn't that true? And that was something that was seen in Baptist churches 
back in 1776, or actually prior to that date. All right, let's get back to our text. In verse 16, notice that verse. Christ is commanding the people at Pergamos, the church at Pergamos, to repent. He expected them to remove those who were teaching contrary to the apostles' doctrine. Notice, the Lord says, Otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now that's kind of scary, isn't it? The Lord is going to come against a church that is not following the teachings of the Scriptures. But He gave a promise to the faithful. As with the other messages to the churches that we're looking at in the first part of the book of Revelation, He gives a promise to the faithful. Every one of these, we find a promise to the faithful. Notice, he says that the church at Pergamos would be victorious, or for those that would be victorious, that he would give these two things. And we'll, we'll talk about them in just a moment. The manna and the white stone. And the word victorious is actually a word that is like the word that's translated Nicolaitans. You see, the Nicolaitans wanted victory over the people. Wanted to control the people. Do you see what they were saying? But... Jesus is saying that we need victory over sin. God's people need victory over sin. And He says to those that have that victory that He's going to give these two things. Verse 17. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now this is kind of strange. By the way, I might mention that this is the only time in the book of Revelation that the manna is mentioned or the white stone. And he doesn't give a big explanation about either one of these, does he? So what was the manna? Well, the only time that we read about manna anywhere else in the Scriptures, it was the food that was given to the Israelites while they were in the wilderness wanderings, right? And so it was a food. And he said it's going to be provided for the faithful, for the victorious. And maybe it stands in contrast to those that were eating food sacrificed to idols in verse 14. The white stone has no reference whatever in the Scriptures. So where does that come from? Well, we do find something about white stones 
in common use in that day and time. When a trial was being held, when an individual was brought up before the council in, in uh, Israel, and these individuals were accused of a particular crime, the ones that were making decisions about them had both a white stone and a black stone. If they were voting for acquittal, they would give the white stone, meaning innocence. Maybe that's what the Lord meant by the white stone here, with their name written on it. But there's another use of the white stone that seemed to fit more this particular thing. A white stone was used to give as an invitation to an individual to come to a banquet. Maybe this is what he has in mind as we think about the manna that is mentioned prior, food, and a white stone. You're invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is in chapter 19. Those that are overcomers, those that believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, those who know the Lord are going to be invited to that last supper. And maybe that's what he's talking about. This white stone is the invitation for those that know the Lord to come to that supper. We today need to heed the words of Christ that he's giving to the church at Pergamos. Notice he's saying that he's going to fight against those who compromise their stand for Christ. And he's going to fight against them with the sword of his mouth. But he's going to reward those who overcome, those who are faithful. In the end, only the Lord's approval matters. In the end, only the Lord's approval matters. May the Lord keep us from tolerating error in our midst in the name of peace, compromising our stand for Christ, getting along with the world and taking, instead of taking a stand against the rulers of darkness. The Satan who has his throne on earth and who fights against us, who tries to get us to compromise and not stand for the Lord. Maybe today that there are those among us that, that need to make a commitment to stand for the Lord. To be the individual they need to be for Christ. Maybe today that you have never come to the place of trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's an individual decision. It's not a decision somebody else made for you. It's not a decision your parents made. But it's a decision that you have to make. And the Lord has said, whoever will may come. Come and take the water of life freely, the book of Revelation tells us. I'd like to show you from the pages of God's Word how you can have 
that drink, that water of life, to quench your thirst eternally. And you can have a part in the things that God has planned and prepared for those that know Him. As we stand together and we sing this final hymn, Lord, prepare me is the name of it. And if you need to make a decision today, come right now. Make that decision. Now, don't put it off any longer. Let me show you what God has to say. I don't ask you to listen to my words, but listen to God's. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and With thanksgiving, I'll be a
think that went along with what I've been talking about today? <laughs> All right. Uh, Freddie, if you will come and lead us in our closing prayer. Any other word or announcements now before we're dismissed? Thank you for being here today. Thank you for your prayers for our church and services. Freddie? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray and thank you for letting each and every one of us be here today, dear Lord God. To hear the word of God that the preacher give us comes straight from you, dear Heavenly Father. Lord, just be with us as we go home and bring us back next Sunday. Lord, I just pray though when we come back next Sunday, we have to find chairs for the people that's going to be here. Because I just pray it's full. I pray, dear Lord God, and thank you again, dear Lord God, for just letting us be here. Pray and ask this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Thank you, and God bless.